Welcome along to Tech Talk. This is Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. Coming up over the next hour, I'll take you inside the 2.4 billion dollar venue where you two are playing 25 dates over the coming months. We'll hear from Adam Clayton and The Edge, as well as the producers of the show who've worked with the likes of Adele, Madonna, Beyonce and the Rolling Stones. As always, you can email the show techtalk at newstalk.com or you'll find me on Instagram at jesskellynt. But let's get into it. Yeah, on Friday of last week, I flew from Dublin to Chicago on to Las Vegas because you two were kicking off their residency at Sphere on the Strip. This is a one-of-a-kind venue that, as the name would tell you, is spherical in shape and has the world's largest LED screen as its shell. There are more than 200 million pixels within Sphere and U2's technical team used every single one of them to produce what I've said so many times this week was one of the best things I have ever seen. I got to meet members of the band in Vegas last Saturday, which was incredible. But I want to start the show this week with Rick Lipson of Stewfish, one of the production houses involved in the show. Now, Rick has worked with Beyonce on her Renaissance tour, on Madonna's upcoming tour, and so many other huge world tours and many of U2's in the past as well. But I started by asking him how he got involved with U2 UV. So, so um, we've been involved probably about for about eighteen months, pretty much from the beginning, uh, along with Willie Williams, who's the creative director, and Es Devlin, who uh, is also part of the creative team, and other members of the team, including Gavin Friday and Molly Steinberg and Sharon Blankson, and of course the band. And and we we started by trying to understand what this venue was and how it would offer opportunities different to the regular arena or stadium that you know we're obviously very comfortable with uh, from previous years of performing and um strangely all three of uh, the creative people myself um Willie as we'd all at some point been involved with uh, consulting on the sphere uh, through its sort of genesis so we knew a bit about it anyway and so when the opportunity came that you two were going to perform there we were all, of course, excited for the challenge of what it would offer to have this venue that is essentially is an amphitheatre, for want of a better word, in terms of its its layout. But um, it it has this gigantuous screen, um, uh, immersive video surface that means that the sort of dominant element of the show is the sort of the the the, the video and the media that you can put on this screen. So the first steps of sort of thinking about what we would do is how do we um, ground the band uh, in some kind of staging sculpture that allows them to to be the focus, but also allowing them to be immersed in this world. How involved were the band in terms of the conversation when it comes to the planning for Sphere? Um, Because, you know, the... The visual elements of so many of the U2 tours over the years have been incredible. And I'm always curious to know how much of that comes from the band versus production companies. The band are involved in all in all the conversations. Um, they're, they're very um, uh, creatively in tune and their whole uh, raison d'etre 
is to what they call break the fourth wall. Um, and for years, that's what all those other shows have done, whether it's fighter catwalks, uh, screens down the middle of the rooms, the 360, uh, all shows that you know we've been involved with. Um, 360 was was deliberately scaled up so that it was so large that it would have a real um, impact on the stadium scale, but then it focused the attention to the band. And it's a similar thing here with the sphere. Whilst there's this massive sphere, the the band, of course, are, are on this sort of um, slab of video screen, which we sort of think of it as a stage or a sculpture or a raft. And um, throughout the show, we use the magnification of the image, which we call IMAG, um, you know, the big images of the band are sort of interspliced with the content throughout the show. So we don't have them on the screen the whole time because um, there's intimate parts of the show. There's large, spectacular, you know, immersive parts of the show where it's about the sort of the, the video landscapes that are created behind them. But then at other times we sort of have um, a need and a want to see the reactions on their faces and, you know, the the emotion in the in the music. So the the band and and Willie and, and you know the team that have created the show and the and the flow of the show um, have chosen when seeing the band close up is important versus when it's less important um, and there's a sort of nice balance for the show. Do you have more freedom to be a bit more exper- experimental because it's a residency and you're not packing the stage up into twelve trucks every night? Yeah, I mean exactly. I mean, tw- if we were a twelve truck tour, we'd be lucky. You know, most <laughs> two tours. Um, you know, arena tours are probably you know nearer to thirty and nearer to a hundred on a on a stadium tour with all the steel and everything. So the thing about uh, all of those shows is, as you just said, they have to pack up into small pieces every day. Uh, they have to go in and out of trucks. They have to deal with the wind and the rain if they're outdoors and whatever. So with those kind of things come restrictions. You know, a certain amount of stuff you can assemble in a day uh, in a venue. So what's nice here is that the the venue, uh, the screen specifically offers so much to the production that you instantly have the the sort of iconic part of the show there for you. Now that's true of any act that's going to go in the sphere, but then there's what you do on that screen and, you know, treatment studio who have done all the uh, producing of most of the content and worked together with all the artists that have made their, their art pieces. You know, this is one of the, probably one of the largest canvases for any artist ever, uh, especially any video artist. So to create this artwork for these for this screen is is uh, a luxury, whereas on a sort of general tour, you know, the screens are a certain size that we can either hang from a ceiling or build a structure to hold up. So it's offered more potential in the visual realm for sure. And then the stage itself, the bits that you know that, that they stand on, and the backline, and how all the guys that live under the stage that make the sound work, and the guitars, and the basses, and the drums, and all of those things. You know that the format of that hasn't changed massively because that's a long-standing relationship between the proximity of those key people and and the and the artists on the stage. But because we're not having to move every day, you know, we've been able to make those things a little bit more spacious, a little bit more thought through in a way that means that you know it's 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 a prettier way to look at it and integrate it all into the stage nicely. How much of you know, Octung Baby and the album and the music was an inspiration for the visual elements of the show. Hugely, hugely important. I mean, the thing to understand about you two um, is that they start, you know, and often the shows start from what what is the music, what's the narrative of in the music, what's the mood of the music, and how do we express that? So the visuals are a direct relationship to that. Um, 
Now, obviously, over the years, those those things are reinterpreted. So, you know, mysterious ways or um, uh, Zuropa, you know, the, there's the songs that have had a sort of aesthetic established with them from when Zoo TV happened, um, but they continually get, you know, reimagined. So I think that, you know, the music absolutely steers it. And what you'll see when you see the show is, you know, that we've actually taken the album and split it almost into two chunks, the first half and the second half. So the first half is sort of um, quite hard hitting visually and and acoustically. And then we take a little breather where we do a more uncut um, section of the show. And then we return sort of for the second half because it's quite intense to do the whole album in, in one hit. So, so the visual language of, of the show and the acoustic uh, audio language gives the, the audience time to breathe in the middle and appreciate, you know, other U2 songs um, that are sort of in a different timbre and different sort of pace, which is great for making a, you know, a show. What are you hoping people leave uh, the venue with after they see it? I think, you know, the way that people uh, experience shows nowadays, whether it's in the sphere or, or anywhere else, you know, in the olden days, you would just sit and watch the show. Um, but now, of course, you're, you're using your mobile phone, you're interacting with social media, you're taking pictures that try and capture the 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 essence of the event, but also often trying to capture you at the essence of the event. And the thing is, is that the this venue is so um, spectacular in the way that it captures the whole room and the attention towards the stage but also offers this this visual feast um that i think some people will come away just being blown away by the technology and the and the immersivity of the imagery some of the people will come away um never having heard the sound in such a, a way because this venue is designed for sound to work whereas you know when you're doing a show in, a, in an arena or a stadium it's quite echoey so you get quite a muddy sound so i think people will come away having heard the music in a way that they've not heard it before having seen the band in a way they've not seen them before and there are you know a series of amazing spectacular moments um in the video imagery um which which will you know blow people's minds just because you will never seen an image that big uh, and that detailed and that clear um ever because no venue exists that has ever done that so I think the audience will have many memories that come from this, whether it's hearing that favorite song that they've, you know, they've loved for 40 years, um, where they get with a band that have you know stood the test of time, um, but framed in this in this 2023 futuristic space station venue. Um, so it's pretty exciting. I think there's there's a lot of opportunity for the for the audience to take many elements from it. Do you still get excited uh, when you are involved in these big productions or is it a bit of a, that's just the job now? Yeah, of course. I mean, you know, whether it be with you two who are always trying to push the envelope on any show that we do, whether it's a new kind of venue or whether it's a new way of doing staging, whether it's a new technology, whether it's a new um, way of doing a show, um, that's always super exciting. Um, Whichever artist we're working with or collaborating with, you know, they often want to do something that that will be different, either for them or for the audience. Um, and we're here to design memories and experiences for the audience. That's what you know gets us excited. There's nothing more exciting than that opening night, which will be tomorrow, where um, the you know you we we know what's about to come, but the audience don't. And 
unfortunately, but also fortunately in this sort of day and age of, of the mobile phone, as I said earlier, once the show is done, it will be online. And anyone that wants to see the show will have seen bits of it curated by the the, the audience. But uh, whereas, you know, what we do is we try and curate the view for, for the audience ourselves and put it on the screen and create those moments. But the audience are all their own editors now. So I think what's exciting is that tomorrow, you know, the opening night is the first time the audience will see it. And therefore, it's the first time everyone will just go, <gasps> you know, and we hear that that sound. And when you hear that, then then it's absolutely worth every single bit of uh, excitement and energy that's been committed to it over the months. And I would say that's the same for any show. You know, we opened Beyonce a few months ago. Um, uh, it's the same thing. We're about to open Madonna in uh, next week in, in England. Uh, and we're super excited about that. Uh, you know, we did Global Citizen Festival last week in New York, which whilst that's a festival that happens every year, you know, that's it. It's a show that's in, in pursuit of, you know, um, saving world poverty and, and, and bringing, you know, a lot of uh, focus onto the sustainable development goals, et cetera. So every show has their own way of exciting us internally at Stewfish and, you know, giving us an opportunity to excite an audience. Well, definitely. I cannot wait to see the show. Thank you so much for joining us here on News Talk. Thank you so much. That was Rick Lipson, one of the producers who worked on U2UV at The Sphere in Las Vegas. Now, another production group involved is called Treatment and Lizzie Pocock spoke to me about their involvement. So we've been involved in the project for about a year now. Um, and um, we work with Willie Williams, who's been a long time um, creative collaborator with you two. Um, and we've basically worked with him very closely over the last year um, and more so since about January this year, um, sort of coming up with the ideas for all of the video content that will go on the screen at the sphere during the show. So that's sort of both from the creative side, sort of initial concept development and working through ideas and what works and what doesn't work because it's a it's uh, the fact that it's spherical, it needs to be approached in a very different way to how we would usually do if we were working on a sort of a flat LED screen. Um, and then also looking at the sort of the technical side of that as well and how to how to make it happen, how to create content for that screen and also um, how to create content for that screen at the size and the resolution that it is because it's sort of unprecedented in its scale. Yeah, and anyone who's seen pictures of it will fully understand and appreciate exactly what you're talking about. Um, I've been to several U2 gigs in the past. There was a 360 tour, which was stunning. And then the Innocence and Experience, which again, you know, they used the space in such an innovative way from a creative point of view. Were you excited at the thought of dealing with the sphere shape? Because as I understand it, there's been virtual reality involved, there's 4D technology, there's a whole host of really innovative technology in use here. Um, and that was all vital to get to the show that we now have. Yeah, I, th I think as ever with these things, you sort of, you do a job and you kind of finish the job and it's, a, you know, it's this massive experience and you put all of your you know passion and soul into it and then you sort of get to it and you go what's next what can be bigger with this and and I think with the sphere it was such a unique challenge on so many levels um that that was the kind of exciting part of it and it's just been amazing working with the team of people because I think a year ago we all sort of sat there and went oh gosh how are we going to pull this off it it sort of seemed you know it seemed like a very big mountain to climb but now we're nearly at the top it's um yeah, it's it's great. And, the, the you know, the team of people that we've had working on it, just amazing talent across the board. And, 
you know, the process of working with Willie and sort of doing initial, you know, we started with literal sort of pencil and um, paper hand drawings and now seeing that um, sort of going through the VR process, which we used a lot to sort of try and work out what worked in the space before we could get into the space, because of course the building wasn't built when we started um, and now seeing it on screen in the sphere is, yeah, it's quite a thing. I know that you spent a lot of your career working with some of the biggest musical acts in the world, including U2, Adele and the Rolling Stones. How influential is the music to what we see on screen or what way do you approach it? You know, if you sit down, as you said there, with, you know, a post-it note and a pencil on the first day, are you listening to the tracks or are you trying to think about what would be the best fan experience? I, th- I think ultimately everything always starts with the music. Um, you know, that's that's definitely the, the the starting point for all of the ideas. And it's sort of listening to the songs and understanding, you know, trying to get underneath the skin of the lyrics and understand what the songwriter, be it U2 or Adele or the Rolling Stones, was, you know, what they were feeling and how what they were trying to portray with that music that they wrote and then trying to, you know, visualise that in a way that that sort of, you know, enlarges the experience for the audience. Uh, I'm obviously really interested from a tech point of view. Can you articulate how big the files are and the, the the pixel count in the sphere and, you know, that really nerdy element? Because I'm sure all of these stats are, are living in your brain. It is. It's In fact, we were we when we started this project, um, I work with uh, one of our tech gurus who's amazing, Brandon Kramer. And um, very early on, we sat down and we started doing some some sums on a piece of paper to try and work out, you know, this number of pixels, this many minutes of content, you know, how much storage are we going to need for this? And um, we ended up with a petabyte server, which is, you know, 10 times plus anything we've had on any other project before. Um, And we got to the point about a week ago where we started having to delete old files because we were running out of space. Um, And we sort of chuckled to ourselves (laughs) about the ridiculous quantity of data that we've created for this project. Yeah, it is just incredible. I can't even imagine uh, from your side of things. But it's obviously great to have events like this still creating those wow moments for fans and seeing what technology can do to transform, you know, a gig into a bigger experience, I suppose. Have you embraced technology with open arms or would you be a bit of a traditionalist when it comes to the set design, the lighting and all of those elements? I think, yeah, it's a really good question. And I think ultimately, um, the I feel like the technology should never drive the creative. You should always have the creative ideas first, but then creatively use technology to enable you to deliver what you come up with creatively, if that makes sense. So it's it's sort of, you know, don't don't start with a piece of tech that you kind of have to that sort of constrains your creative thinking, come up with a creative idea and then, you know, speak to the right people and get the right tech in to to make that idea a reality. How much of a collaborative effort was this between the band, the production companies and the different creatives involved? Uh, You mentioned Willie Williams there as well. Is this an amalgamation of everybody's creative vision or how does it go back and forth to ensure that everybody involved is happy? A hundred percent a collaborative process. And I think that's one of the things that I enjoy so much about working with you too, is is that there are very you know, are very supportive of, you know, different creative collaborators along along the way, as is Willie. Um, so it's been a joy, really. But, but you know, 
as with everything, it almost ultimately goes back to the music. And that's what that's the magical, um, the magical dust that comes in at the end. And it's it's been interesting because we've now been in the sphere for nearly two months doing technical rehearsals. Um, and the first day that the band walked on stage for their, you know, sort of first music rehearsals, you just kind of went, ah, that's it. That's why we're here. This is why we're doing this. I know this has been in the works for a long time. Um, there must be wow moments when you think, oh, God, I've actually made this happen. Yeah, exactly. And it's interesting because over the last couple of days, we've gone back actually to look at some of those initial storyboards. And it's, it's you know, things have changed and developed, but, you know, all of the core ideas that we spoke about are still there, which is pretty incredible. And is this something that can be developed or adapted during the period of the residency or is it set in stone? I'm sure you don't want to divulge anything, but say, for example, if the band wanted to add a different song, how adaptable is the visual element of the show uh, so that you could flip things if you needed to? If you'd asked me a year ago, I would have said it had to be set in stone from day one. But now, um, now that we've sort of learnt how to tame the beast, as it were, I I think, yeah, I think we can, you know, there's obviously some ideas take longer than others, but there's definitely stuff that we can now, you know, jump on pretty quickly if a new idea comes up. Mm. And you've worked with, uh, some incredible artists, as I've mentioned, as well as on some remarkable productions, including the London 2012 Olympic and Paralympic Games. Um, where does this rank in terms of pressure, expectation and enjoyment? Oh, gosh, that's such a hard question. <laughs> uh, right. Now, and, and I think with these projects, you know, when you're sort of in the thick of it, the pressure always feels like you're, you know, you're about to burst. But um I think that's part of the addictive nature of them and why we keep coming back and doing it again and again, because the the sort of euphoria of looking at something and, and also watching, you know, watching the audiences come in for the first time and watch people enjoy what you've spent months putting together. There's there's not really a feeling like it. Um, so I, d- I don't think I could I don't think I could separate out the the London Olympics for me was obviously very special because it was, you know, home ground. Mm hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It was an incredible production. And will you get to enjoy any period of the residency or is it a bit like a parent watching their child's dance recital, you know, standing in the back nervously? There's, it's funny because a, a little bit like a parent watching their child do their dance rehearsals. But but on every show that I've done, there's always a few sort of key moments that if I can sort of get myself through those, then I sort of take a deep breath and I'm like, OK, we're, we're in it now. We're rolling. Everything's working. Everything's fine. And off we go. So... Yeah, there'll definitely be some anxiety for the first um, first few songs, but I hope I will then be able to enjoy it as we get into it. Well, look, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much for your time and congratulations. Pleasure. Thanks so much. That was Lizzie Pocock speaking to me about U2 UV at Sphere in Las Vegas. Now, when we come back here on News Talk, we'll hear from The Edge and Adam Clayton about performing at the $2.4 billion venue. Tech Talk with Jess Kelly. Welcome back to Tech Talk. This is Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. I'm bringing you inside Sphere, which is a brand new venue just off the strip in Las Vegas because U2 opened their show there. Uh, It's called U2 UV. I got to see the show last Saturday night. I cried six times. I was so overwhelmed. If you haven't seen the pictures or videos, head over to my Instagram at JessKellyNT and you'll just see how different it is to anything else in the world when it comes to live entertainment. Uh, It is just remarkable. I was so incredibly lucky, not just to be there, 
but I also got to meet members of the band. So on Saturday afternoon, just before soundcheck, uh, we went over and I got to meet The Edge and Adam Clayton alongside a number of other Irish journalists. Uh, here is just a bit of what they had to say. I went way better than I could ever have expected and yeah. hoped for. Um, you know, you, you kind of, it's, it's a theory until the, the audience are in and then you're actually doing it for real and you kind of have expectations of what, how things will play, but everything just kind of connected in, in a way we were just... I mean, the, the, the comments I, I've been hearing is, you know, people really thought the sound was great, that, you know, they could hear clarity in the sound. And, of course, the thing that, you know, you just don't know what's going to happen is, is when you mix that sound with those images and the quality of the images. And, and a lot of people that I spoke to were saying, you know, it's, it's hard to imagine a normal concert. You know, this has changed it. It's changed it for, for everyone. And that's, it's exciting to be the first doing that. What's it like on stage? Actually, it's kind of intimate, because if you look up from here, you see, you know, you really mm. see even the very top tier of seats. You've, you, you can, you know, pick out individuals. And so it's not like some of these basketball arenas where literally, you know, you can't really even see who's at the back or obviously a stadium, which is even bigger again. So... The, the design is very uh, good for, for you know communication mm. and the intimate moments I mean it's amazing you know Bonner can whisper literally and you can hear it at the very top of the venue which of course is impossible in most situations yeah. of this scale so we're, we're still experimenting with what's possible and that's going to be the fun for us over the next few weeks is like trying little things and experimenting to see how far we can take that intimacy and then kind of the, the big more mm. you know aggressive rock songs we we had to rely a lot on the technology working and since mm. it's all bespoke kind of a lot of its prototype in that sense it's not it doesn't exist mm. anywhere else in the world there's always that nagging question is it going to break down and my guitar stuff we did yeah. at one point i i didn't even see it but my tech Dallas was on his hands and knees making my guitar switches for me which normally I would do if I'm up there but I was down the front of the stage so normally he would do it for me underneath the stage but his system broke down so he had to crawl out and start doing it on his hands and knees at the, my foot pedal which was really comedic in, in a certain way something so simple I mean when you look at all the technology involved and what about um, the sound you're hearing on the stage? Joe was talking about how the sound has been fed to you. That, uh, is this the best you've ever sounded on, on st to yourselves on stage? Uh, uh, right up there, yeah. yeah. I'd say it's the best I heard the edge ever. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, there's no hiding. You know, the, the sound is so clear. Every single mistake, every little imperfection is audible. So we're having to raise our game a little bit. and uh, you know. I mean, it, it is, it's a little kind of futuristic because we are on these ear monitors which we've been on for a few years and that really gave us the freedom to do these these big concerts and big productions and get out front of the PA. I think the first time we used them was on Zoo TV, the original Zoo TV ah, was ear monitors. Right. Oh. Yeah, so we were able to move around a lot more then and, and now it's become the norm. Mm. But uh, we've got good guys watching our back down down backstage there. We we've got a good guy watch, yeah. watching us out front yeah. as well. We have to ask you about your first gigs with that Larry. Yeah. yeah. What is that like? It, you know, it was uh, it, it's it's pretty scary in so many ways. But you know, we'd done a lot of work with Bram. Um, we've been playing together for six weeks now. We did some initial rehearsals 
way back in March and I kind of knew he had my back which was what I was concerned about because Larry's always there for me um, so he was there for me he's uh, he's got a great attitude you know he's you know he'll adapt to whatever whatever I need or whatever the band needs and he's great fun to be around he's and he's a huge Larry fan that's the yeah. main thing so you know he he's not out to you know reinvent the wheel he wants to stay true to the yeah. spirit of the songs and the arrangements and, and uh, really doing a great job I think how was he feeling <laughs> yesterday before he got on stage he, he's, he's a cool cat. He's yeah. cool. Yeah. He's Dutch people. They're, they're different. They're not like us. <laughs> uh, he was probably the least nervous, I'd say. Yeah. <laughs> What's your favourite song to perform in the sphere? And because he performed here, do you think he can go back to a normal arena? Well, I, I think we definitely can go back to normal arenas because each each different context gives gives its own challenges and opportunities. So we're not turning our back on touring by any means. But this is this is a very particular opportunity and you know this is going to be the only place in the world where we can lay on a show like this probably for another 10 years I'd say there might be spheres popping up over the next few years but it takes so long to build and the technology involved is so expensive that you know it's, it's they're not going to be around and I would say with the you know my favorite song it keeps changing um, actually the thing that I'm so excited about is is when we break it down to the acoustic stuff and discovering some of our songs in the most stripped down acoustic manner it seems to allow the the audience into the song in a way that you know when you're playing a, a rock version the audience are basically listening and watching but when it's acoustic it's like they're able to participate in a way that they couldn't otherwise and I, I'm really ex excited about where we can take that Which bands do you think could, uh, could play here? You know, Next. I've been thinking about that. Um, you know, there's different bands with different um, visual coefficients. So, for instance, Gorillas, I'd say, could do something amazing because of their animated um, content, or you know, band like Kraftwerk could probably do something amazing. Yeah, that was The Edge and Adam Clayton speaking to us on Saturday of last week before night two at Sphere. Uh, I also got to catch up with Willie Williams, who is a Creative genius, I think is the best way to put it. He's worked with you 2 for decades now. Uh, he was involved in the original Zoo TV production and many of their other shows since. And he spoke to us about putting this show together, but also a little bit about his apprehension of doing something like this in Las Vegas. Well, ever so glad to um, have got the first one under the belt. Been working on it for about a year or more. Um, and of course having to dream up a show in a building that doesn't exist yet was also pretty challenging. Um, a completely new kind of venue and you two presenting an album that had a pretty good outing first time around in terms of the visual side of it. So um, yeah, it was a lot to live up to and it was a hell of a journey for all sorts of reasons. But, um, but yeah, we opened last night and that was, that was great, so very relieved. Um, these things are always the confluence of art, science and diplomacy and diplomacy here was pretty enormous because not only are they finishing a building but Darren Aronofsky has his immersive movie in here so we're having to share the space with him and his people um, getting that going so there was a lot to take on uh, but yeah, ultimately very happy. The, the, the great thrill though last night was 
watching 18,000 people come into a space that no one has been in before and with absolutely no idea what was about to happen. And that kind of anticipation, you don't get that very often. Um, I think they lost their shit, I think is what, <laughs> what, what the kids say, yeah. No, it was, it was lovely. And I mean, the, it's, in a way, it's a shame that so much of an audience response is to get the phone out and film it, rather than just jump up and down and roar. But there were some really, really magical moments. And uh, for me, as we got through, there were sort of four acts in the show. And as we got through each act, we'd have a little high five at front of house because we made it through another one. Did everything run smoothly for the band on stage last night? Edge broke a string during Streets, at which point he ran down the side steps, got another guitar, came back up and carried on in the space of about a minute. It was hilarious. His guitar tech was under the stage tuning guitars. And so he just did it. He just leapt off the stage, went and got another guitar and carried on. In terms of all the technology, that's not a bad... Really not bad. And, you know, I think we had a pretty clean show. I'm just trying to think if there was anything else. Um, no, we, it was really remarkable. Any uh, particular part of it, you just thought that really worked? Really, Funnily enough, um, what we call Act Four, which is the encore, basically the show sort of divides into we open with a whole chunk of Acting Baby, and some of the visuals refer to Zoo TV, which I really didn't think we would do. I, I feel like now that since the early 90s, you know, the, the whole world has become Zoo TV basically. So I felt like it would feel a bit played out to go and look at it. And of course, the genius of the Joshua Tree show was that they presented that album without it being at all nostalgic. They just looked at it like it was their new record and went and played it. So I thought this might—I thought this might be about Acting Baby rather than Zoo TV, but it turns out that language, this particular language, um, it's really not what's going on, and it's a very specific aesthetic which felt really fresh. And so some of it we've sampled—not not a lot, but some of it we've sampled—and that's kind of where we begin. And it's so intense, and the album is so overwhelming. We were laughing that um, Joshua Tree has a kind of a dark side and a light side, whereas Acting Baby has a dark side and a really bleak side. <laughs> and as one hit, it was just too much. So we take a break, and then the, the Brian Eno stage then lights up. This is a... The, the stage, I don't know if anyone said, but this is the stage is basically modelled on Brian Eno's turntable. There's a picture of it in your programme. And... We, obviously we've known Brian for a very long time and the joy of his sculptures is that they run themselves in terms of the colours, they're generative and they just kind of go where they want and I thought it would be absolutely wonderful to have a stage that for a period of the show the colour of it was controlled by an algorithm written by Brian Eno mm-hmm. um, and so I talked to him and I said the reason I wouldn't do that is what if it decides to sit on green for 15 minutes which is not a great look for 60 year olds <laughs> uh, speaking as one myself um, so he, he made basically the algorithm follows rules and so he wrote some new rules that contain the less human flattering colours and it genuinely does it and last night I was chuckling away uh, just at the thought that we're in there watching this stage and it's you know it's a lengthy chunk of time where it's just doing what it wants to do that was Willie Williams, the longtime creative director with you two, speaking to me in Las Vegas last week. Uh, I, I I can't keep going on about how much I love the show because I'm pretty sure people in here are sick of me talking about it. But it was honestly incredible. Um, I just loved every single second of it. If you were there, 
I would love to hear what your thoughts are. Uh, you can email me techtalk at newstalk.com or you can send me a DM on Instagram at jesskellynt. Now, when we come back, something entirely different from rock and roll to our book club. <laughs> 